You're listening to The Gospel Effect, a sermon series about the teachings of Jesus and how they should affect the lives of Christians. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Yes, good to see you, good to see you. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, you know what? Alabama fans sure were sweating yesterday, tell them, right? Uh, Anyway, hey, uh, we're in a series that we have titled The Gospel Effect, The Gospel Effect, and what we're talking about is how how Jesus' words, the teachings of Christ, aren't meant to just be words that are spoken or words that we might be familiar with. Jesus' words, his teachings, are meant to so affect our life, and not just parts of our life, but every part of our life. Our life. The gospel truly is supposed to affect us. And so as we start today, let me just start off by kind of asking you this. Has anybody here ever upgraded something in your life? Maybe a, a cell phone, a TV, a laptop, something like that. You upgraded something that was supposed to be good, but then it turned out to be a disaster. Anybody here, you did that? Yeah, so uh, uh, some people are like, man, I got I to gotta upgrade my phone. I got to get a new phone. I need to get that iPhone 23. What, what's the one that's out there now? X or nine or some eight, yeah. I got to get that new phone. And so they go out and they get that new phone and they're kind of showing it off. You know, you're like, look at my new, when you're talking to somebody, you know, you want the people around you to see you got that new phone. And they're like, oh, is that the new phone? You're like, yeah, I got to upgrade. And so you're trying to show them this new phone and then you drop it and break the screen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you got to walk around with a jacked up upgrade. You know what I mean? It happens to some folks, uh, but we, we upgrade things. We like to upgrade things. Well, have you ever wondered If God upgrades, have you ever wondered if God ever says, you know what, I need something better. I need something newer. We upgrade all sorts of things in our life. We improve all sorts of things, our our cars. Uh, I remember when I was coming up, my mom had uh, the first Nissan Sentra that was probably ever uh, ever invented or ever created. Uh, It might not have been really the first one, uh, but it was really old, you know. And you know how you got the windows to roll down on that car? You had to crank that thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You had to crank those things. Man, you could like tear your rotator cuff, you know what I'm saying, trying to do that. And so I remember the first time I ever saw power windows, you know. Uh, my papa had a Ford F-150. It was green and tan. It had power windows. And I remember being in that truck, you know, and all you did was push a button. You'd watch that window go down. You'd push it, and it'd go up again. Man, I had so much fun with that until my papa hit me in the back of the head and said, quit it, boy. You know what I mean? He wanted me to break nothing. But again, we like upgrades. It was an upgrade. There, there have been so many upgrades in sports, uh, even in, in football, for example. Do you know, that, you know what football helmets used to look like? We've got a picture right here we're going to show you guys. That's what football helmets used to look like. Anybody here used to wear one of those? Don't raise your hand. We'll know how old you are. But that's what they used to look like. Now, look at what, the, uh, look at what football helmets look like. I mean, these, this is an improvement. You know what I'm saying? That's much more safe, much more safe than, uh, than what they had. So there have been these improvements in sports. Even in medicine, there have been improvements. Do you know that back in the day, years and years and years and years ago, if you were sick, you know that you would go to the doctor, and you know what they would do? They would do something called bloodletting. Anybody know what that is? They would actually cut your arm or cut you somewhere and let you bleed uh, for a little while and say, man, this will make you feel better. No wonder kids are afraid to go to the doctor. You know what I'm saying? 
Uh, if you had headaches back in the day, this is a true story, I'm not making this up, but if you had constant and reoccurring headaches, you know what they would do? They would take like a hand uh, drill, this crank drill, and they would literally drill into your brain to relieve pressure. From, we got a picture here. I'm just kidding. We don't. Y'all would have thrown up. But I mean, how many, I, I wish I had five people in here that would praise God for some Tylenol. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to get my head drilled on. I never would have a headache. Even if I did, I wouldn't tell nobody. But again, there have been all these upgrades, and I'm thankful for them. But does God ever upgrade? Does God ever upgrade his methods? And theologically speaking, the answer is no. The answer is no. I want you to think about this. God has never had a better thought than his first thought. God's never had a better thought than his, his first thought. God's never said, you know, what I was trying to accomplish right there, maybe if I do something different or if I change it and tweak it, maybe that'll, maybe that'll be a better thing. God doesn't do that. And the truth is, from Genesis, since the beginning of creation till now, till the time in which we live, I want you to know that God's method is still the same. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because it's important not to just know the words of God or the words of Christ, but it's also very important for you and I to know the methods of Christ, not just his word, but know his method. And so what was Jesus's method for reaching people who were far from God? What was his method for bringing people who were far from God close to God? Because what I want you to understand today is that Jesus loves people who are far from God. Jesus was obsessed with people who were far from God. Jesus organized his time and his energies all around reaching people who were far from God. He went to people who didn't think that they would want anything to do with him. And he does things completely different from the religious people of his day. Jesus basically ignored the religious people of his day. I want you to see what the Bible says that Jesus did in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Bible says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. You see that? It, it is Jesus' intention. It was his intention to reach people who were lost, people who were far from God. He was obsessed with it. And I want you to see uh, another verse, but what I want you to understand is, again, that Jesus, he's so obsessed with reaching people who are far from God. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hate it that he's always hanging out with ungodly people. So they come to Jesus and they basically accuse Jesus of being ungodly because he hangs out with ungodly people. And look at what Luke chapter 5 verses 31 through 32 says. It says, Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's people who don't think that they need God, people who are far from God, that God is actively pursuing. And so the question that all of us need to be asking ourselves this morning is, what was Jesus's method for reaching people far from him? Because again, from the beginning of time, ever since Jesus even walked this earth until now, his method has not changed. He hasn't upgraded. And so I want you to see the method of God. If you got your Bible, this is going to be where we're going to park for the rest of, of, the, of the day, the rest of the morning. But it's in Matthew chapter 9. 
In Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, here's what the Bible says. The words will be on the screen for you. It says, then Jesus went. Everybody say went. Help me out a little bit more. Jesus went, went. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out. Everybody say send out. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, we read that passage, and it might not seem like a very big deal to us, but if you were one of the original hearers, hearing these words from Jesus, this would have been shocking to you. Because rabbis and teachers during the time of Jesus, man, they didn't go to people. They didn't go to people. No, people came to them. People would take their children to a rabbi and to a teacher and say, please let my child follow you. They would go to a rabbi and they would say, please let me follow you. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go, Jesus didn't try to wait on people to come to them. You know, he went out and actually recruited people. See, there were some rabbis who said, you know what? I'm so smart. I'm so blessed. People will be blessed to come and listen to my teachings. But Jesus, again, did not do that. He did not follow the norm of the culture. He actively pursued people. And the next thing about these verses that's pretty fascinating is that the people during their time were always, they were always interested in the mind. They were interested in obtaining information. They were interested in getting the truth, but just basically keeping the truth for themselves. But Jesus comes on the scene and he does things differently. Jesus basically says, you can't separate truth from action. Jesus proclaims the gospel in this passage of scripture, and then he goes out and heals the sick. It's very important, very important. Jesus never tells somebody how to live without showing them compassion. He never tells somebody how to live without showing them compassion, and that's what we have to do, because the very second that we try to tell someone about God, and we do it without showing kindness and compassion, we're not telling someone about God the way that Jesus was, and so we're not doing it the way that Jesus did, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is proclaiming the gospel proclaiming the gospel. Again, the name of the series is The Gospel Effect. The gospel is supposed to affect your life, my life, in such a way that we can't help but proclaim it and share it with other people. And so how do we do that in this passage? And again, in, in these few verses, a lot is happening. Jesus goes to them. He proclaims the good news, and he demonstrates to them compassion. And then at the very end of those verses, Jesus tells us what his method for continuing to reach people who are far from God is. He says, it's not going to be a movie. It's not going to be an information packet. It's not going to be a website. It's not going to be a billboard. It's not going to be a Christian track. Here's what he says. Jesus says, I'm going to change the whole world and I'm going to do it by using harvesters. I'm going to use workers. The method of Jesus to reach people who, is, who are far from God is people. 
people. It's, it's you and me. It's, it's people. He wants to use his people to reach people far from God. So turn to your neighbor and ask them, is you his people? Yeah, yeah. Now then look at the person who asked you, is you his people? Say, I'm his people. Is you his people? You know what I mean? Kind of get an attitude with him. But that's what's crazy. Think about this. Jesus' method for reaching people is people. And if you know people, you know that's a terrible method, right? How many of y'all know some people and you just go, man, that's, they're terrible. Just me? Pray for me. Okay. I mean, it just sounds like a terrible method, but Jesus again says, you know what? I'm going to use people to reach people. I'm going to use people to reach people. But something that's interesting about you and I is that sometimes we just don't want to go to people. We might post a Bible verse on our Facebook page or use technology, and you can do that, but that's not Jesus's method. Why can't each and every one of us say, you know what? It's up to me. It's up to me as a worker of Christ to reach the people in my life who are far from Christ. It's up to me to be the worker again that Christ has called me to be. Why can't we we do that? Why can't we say, you know what? I need to have the same attitude in mind of Christ. I need to love people who are far from Christ. Why, why can't we do that? Why is the church in America shrinking? Why aren't people actually participating in bringing people far from God, close to God? Why is evangelism missing from the life of so many people who claim to follow Christ? Why is the church so distant, so distant from people who are far from Christ? Why in the world do we look at people who are far from Christ as if they are our enemy? Why? Because the Bible tells you and it tells me that no man is our enemy. We have an enemy, but it's not a person. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is against darkness and powers of the principalities. Our enemy is the devil. That's our enemy. That's who's against us. Our enemy is our own sin and selfishness. That's our enemy. Because again, The Bible teaches us that there's no person who's your enemy. No matter what their voter preference is, no matter what their music preference is, no matter how they dress, no matter what their race. In fact, the Bible says that when we get to heaven, one day, there's going to be a, a day when every tribe, every tongue, every nation is standing before the throne, worshiping God. Why can't that happen right now? Because I'll tell you, that's what God wants. That's what he wants. So you and I just need to decide, you know what, we're going to be like Jesus. We're called to reach people far from God. But why, again, is there this instinct within us and within the church to say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to talk different. We're going to build walls. We're going to be exclusive and seclusive. Why do we think that all of this is just for us? Why? Why? See, when we do that without even realizing it, what happens is we drift away from the method of Jesus, again, when it comes to reaching people who are far from him. We even have a warped view of what evangelism actually is. And the reason why we have a warped view of what evangelism actually is is because we've seen so many people do it the wrong way. 
We really have. Just like when you hear that word evangelism, there are probably some, some negative thoughts that come into your mind. You might think of somebody standing on the street corner with a bullhorn. You know what I'm saying? Saying the end is near. Get right or get left, right? Hey, hey, if you think it's hot here, wait until you go to hell for all the bad stuff that you did. Turn or burn. How many of y'all, you've seen somebody doing stuff like that. I want you to know that's not evangelism. It's not. That's wrong. How many of y'all have ever seen a Christian, maybe, and a non-Christian get into an argument? Huh? You've seen a Christian try to tell a non-Christian about how great God is, and they get so mad, and they're so red in the face, and they're like, God is great. And the guy's going, really? Because you look like you're about to spontaneously combust because your face is so red right now. You know what I mean? That's not evangelism. Why? See, what happens is a lot of times people in the church see people do evangelism wrong, and so we say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And so we choose to do the worst thing possible, and that's nothing. We choose to do nothing instead. We choose to do nothing instead. Many Christians never experience the joy of bringing someone who is far from Christ close to him. And I'm telling you, bringing someone who is far from God close to God is better than any message you'll ever hear. It's better than any song you will ever sing. It's better than, the mo than anything that you can do. Bringing someone who is far from God close to God, man, it does something to your soul. When you think about the fact that, wow, God used me, my frail life, your frail life, God used us to make an eternal difference for people, I'm telling you, that does something to your soul because you are connected to your purpose and it is an amazing feeling when you, just like Jesus, again, bring someone who doesn't know God to God and they come to know him. So how do we do it? How do we evangelize? How do we tell people about God without turning them off? Well, first, I think we need a proper definition of what evangelism really, really is. And so here's what evangelism is. You want to write it down. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's super simple. Evangelism simply means to proclaim good news. That's it in the Greek. Just good news. Good news. Any good news. And so what that means is sometimes you and I evangelize and we don't even realize it, right? Like if you tell somebody, man, I just saved $500 from switching my insurance to Geico. That's, that's good news, right? That's evangelism. I like pizza. How many of y'all like pizza? Man, the best pizza ever created in the history of pizza creation is the Buffalo Chicken Pizza from uh, Pizza Inn right here in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And I know some people are going to be like, oh, I don't think so. And you can be wrong. That's okay. I'm not going to argue with you, okay? It is the best pizza. And so I love that pizza. And so when I go into Pizza Inn, I'm like, hey, man, I got to get that buffalo chicken pizza. And they're like, all right, we're going to get it in for you. And then I get that buffalo chicken pizza in. And here's what happens. Once, once it comes out of the oven, they cut it up real nice. And then they walk out to the buffet. And they're like, hey, the buffalo chicken pizza is on the buffet. That's good news. That is evangelism. That's what it is. Evangelism, again, is just sharing good news, announcing good news. Well, faith, the fact that Christ died for you and died for me and died for everyone in this world, that is good news. And so how do we proclaim that good news without embarrassing ourselves and turning people off? How do we announce the good news? That's what I want to talk to you about. Just two things. If you keep a note, you want to write them down. Very first thing that I want you to see about proclaiming the gospel, if you want to do it right, is don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated because here's the thing 
God has already done the hard part. He really has. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, look at what the Bible says. It says, then Jesus went, we already talked about that, to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Some translations say proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Well, that's what you and I are supposed to do. We are supposed to preach. We are supposed to proclaim. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you have been called to tell people about God no matter who you are. The problem is many of us think we can't do that unless we're super smart. Or we think we can't do that unless we're you know, just a great speaker or a great communicator. That's what we think, but it's not true. Let me tell you something. If you wanna, if you wanna tell somebody about Christ, you wanna do it right, you only gotta do two things. Two things, write these down, man. These are so deep, they will change your life. They're gonna change everything. You're gonna be like, man, that pastor up there, he's so deep, man. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. It's gonna, it's gonna blow your mind. It blew my mind when I was thinking about it. You wanna know how to evangelize? Two things, write them down. First one, be nice. Isn't that deep? Be nice. Be nice. That's, that's what you need to do. Be nice. I'm going to be real with you. I know some Christians, well, people who claim to be Christians, and man, they mean. You know anybody like that? You know, they got that face. You know what I'm saying? And so you'd be like having a good day, smile, and you'll see them. Oh, man, I got to get away from them. You know what I'm saying? That's what you want to run from. That's, that is not good. Be nice. Be nice. Nice. Uh, you know, it's, it's okay to smile. Look, if you want to share your faith, smile and be nice. Be nice to all people, no matter where they are in their walk with God. <laughs> it's so fun. Never mind. I'm not going to tell the story. Somebody might get embarrassed. Anyway, but the Holy Spirit got me. All right. All right. So uh, the second thing I want you to do, not just be nice. This is deep now. Be nice. Be normal. It's not, not mind-blowing. Be normal. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? There's an old saying uh, that says some people are so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good. You know what I mean? I know some Christians who are weird, uh, who are really, really weird, and it's like they can't carry on a normal conversation with anybody. Anybody know somebody like that? Like, uh, you know, they always look at people like they're a target. You know, oh, I'm going to get them. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to get them. You know what I'm saying? And so they're looking for some common ground, and they're like, oh, that person's wearing a shirt. I wear shirts. That's how I'll get in there. And they'll go up to that person like, hey, I like your shirt. Oh, really? I like it too. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's red. I love red. Yeah, me too. Red reminds me of the blood of Christ. Have you been washed in the blood? And they're going, man, you are crazy, man. Get away from me. That's not normal. Don't, don't do that. Be nice. Be normal. Isn't that deep? Man. <laughs> That's mind-blowing to me. I was like, what? Last week, I had somebody come and do some tree work at my house because we had a, some limbs that were you know, over the roof or whatever. An insurance company told me they were going to cancel my policy on November 23rd at 12.01 a.m. I don't know if you realize it or not. That's Thanksgiving. I was like, well, praise the Lord, Thanksgiving. Uh, and so I had to have somebody come and trim some trees down at my, my house. And so these guys come and, uh, to the house, and, and they, were, they were great guys. They were hard workers, and, uh, but I never told them that I was a preacher. Uh, and so I'm out there watching them work, and, uh, man, there's this one guy up in the boom truck, man, and he's, you know, he's big chainsawing, cutting trees. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable, man. Having, I'm going, man, that's my, he's grabbing them, and he's just chunking them. And so I'm out there talking with one of the guys. We start talking for a long time. 
and he's talking about some things. It's kind of questionable, you know, but I, I didn't like get, jump on him or nothing like that. I was nice and normal, nice and normal. So we're just talking. And so he finally asked me, he said, hey man, what do you do for a living? I was like, oh yeah, this is my time. I said, well, I said, I actually pastor a church right here in Vicksburg, Mississippi. He goes, this is a true story. He goes, man, you bamboozled me, man. I was like, I was, he said, I could, he goes, I can see you being a deacon, but a pastor, man. I was like, yeah, man, I'm a pastor right here in Vicksburg. And so he, he calls one of the other guys who's been talking to me. He said, man, he, he bamboozled us, man. He's a pastor, man. He, he got us. And so, and so we started, we just kind of started talking and I said, you know, yeah, man, I'm a pastor. You know what I'm saying? Christ life for life. That's weird. Don't say that. I didn't do it. Nice and normal, right? And so I said, look, man, you guys were actually referred to me by someone else at our church, a guy named Chris Bernard, Chris Bernard, and then the guy just stops. He says, man, they, Chris Bernard, the Bernards, they were, they were some of the nicest customers we've ever had. They said, man, they cooked for us. Chris even prayed for us. And then he looks at me and says, will you pray for me? Will I? <laughs> yeah. Here's, you know, he even called the owner, the owner who was in the boom truck down. He said, this guy, he, this guy and Chris, they know, they know each other. They go to the same church. He's a pastor. And the guy says, I should have known birds of a feather flock together. Be nice and normal. You'll be amazed at the conversations and the opportunities that will arise just if you are nice and normal, nice and normal. How many of y'all have ever heard of a place called Death Valley? I'm not talking about the LSU football stadium. Death Valley, California. Okay, there's got a, got a picture right here of Death Valley. It's basically a, a desert. You know what I'm saying? It looks like Death Valley. But every year there are flowers that do bloom in Death Valley. But every now and then what happens, every now and then what happens is there's this thing called the super bloom. What happens is because of uh, increased rain level or because of moisture right there in the desert, you'll have more flowers uh, bloom than, than normal. And so one botanist, which is a study, uh, studier of flowers, uh, says there are so many seeds that are already there just waiting to sprout, just waiting to grow. So what happens when the appropriate amount of water, what happens when the appropriate amount of water comes on those seeds that are already there. What happens? Well, this is what it looks like. Check it out. This is what it looks like. The hard part was already done. Those seeds were already there. Millions and millions and millions of seeds were already there. It just takes the appropriate amount of water to cause them to come up. Well, here's what I want you to know. For people... The seed, people who are far from God, the seed is already there. See, even some of the people in this room right now, you might not be following God, but let me tell you something about yourself. Deep within your soul, there is a seed that has been planted. You know you are a creature, and you know that there is a creator because you look around and you think, you know what? This couldn't have happened just by accident. There has to be something more than space, matter, and, and, and all the other stuff that is involved with creation. You know that this is not 
an accident. You know that you are not an accident. Deep down within in your soul, there is the seed that says that inside of each and every one of us, man, when you see someone experience injustice, when you see someone who is the victim of a murder or the victim of a crime, when you see someone who has broken one of God's big 10, you feel bad about it. You know it's wrong. Why? That is the echo of our creator in your heart screaming at you saying, I am real. I am here. I need you to come to me. The seed is already there. We don't need to argue with people far from God. We don't need to debate with people far from God. What you and I need to do is water the seed with nice and normal, nice and normal, nice and normal. Look at your neighbor and say, you in trouble. Because they can't be nice and normal, right? It's easy. Be nice and normal. Because when you and I water with the appropriate amount of nice and normal, a super bloom will occur. And you'll be amazed at what God will accomplish. Don't be intimidated. Be nice and be normal. Second thing I want you to see if you're keeping notes, you want to write it down, is this. Invite people to come and see. If you want to proclaim the gospel, invite people to come and see. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Here's what Jesus says to his followers. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his Harvest. Now, I want you to think about this. What does a harvester do? What does a harvester do? Do they go out and win debates? No, they don't. Harvesters, you know what they do? They go out into the field and they bring back the crops. They bring back something that's valuable to the master. That's what a harvester does, and that's what we are called to do. There's an old saying says, you be a fisher of men. You catch them and what? God will clean them, right? We just bring people to God. Again, you and I are his method. God will never upgrade to another method. Our job is simple. We go out and we bring in. We go out and we bring in. Look at something else that Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 35. I want you to see this. The Bible says, well, Jesus says, by this, all people will know, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see that? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that we are followers of Christ if we love one another. So think about this. How will people know that we love one another? unless we bring them into environments and settings where they can actually see us love one another. You don't have to be a clever arguer to win people to Jesus. You just need to connect people to other people who love Jesus and will love them. Listen to, me, listen to these statistics. These statistics. The Institute uh, of America, American Church Growth says, says this. We're going to put them up on the screen for you. It's talking about why people become Christians and why uh, uh, people begin to attend a church. And, and the first one is, is, is a walk-in. You know how many people come to know Christ or join a church because of a walk-in? You know how many? 2%. 2% meaning they just walked into a church or they just kind of stumbled onto Christianity. 2% of Christians come to know Christ as a result of a walk-in. The second one there is, is a pastor. Maybe they heard there was going to be a special speaker or something like that. 
three to five percent of people who are Christians came to know Christ as a result of just a, a, a particular a particular pastor. The second thing, the third thing up there is special need. You know how many people come to know Christ? Two to three percent. What that means is, you know, there was a special need of the church, maybe a marriage ministry, a children's ministry, or something like that. So they come to that, and two to three percent of people who come to that actually give their life to Christ. Uh, the last one there is visitation. One percent of people who get visited by somebody, somebody comes and knocks on your door trying to sell you something. One percent of those people actually come to church or uh, come to know Christ. Now, let me just ask a question. Be honest here. How many people in this room, you know, you, you started coming to church because of any of those reasons right there? Just a couple of hands. What about this? How many of you started going to a church or you became a Christian because a family member or a friend invited you to come? Raise your hand. Look around. You know what, you know what, the, you know what the statistics are? 70 to 90%. 70 to 90% of people who become Christians or join a church do so because a friend or family member invited them. Listen to me. I'm really not very smart. Went to Pearl High School, graduated in the upper percentile of the lower percentile. I'm not real smart. <laughs> so you might have to check my numbers here with math. But if each person here went out and brought one person in, we would double in size. I might be wrong. You got to check my math. But we would double. And that's exactly what God has called us to do, to reach people with the good news. And that 70 to 90%, what that shows us is that people are more open to coming to God than you and I might think. They're more open. And so a simple invite, come and see, allows them to come and get connected with the body of Christ. You want to reach somebody far from Jesus? Go and get them to a place where God's people are experiencing God's presence and they're loving one another. It's simple. And be nice and normal. See, I'm wrapping up. But what I want you to know today is that no one, there's not a single person in this world who is beyond the reach of God. They're not. See, I actually know somebody who, when they were very young, their parents split up, and this, this guy, he was, he was really mad about a lot of things. Remember, his family started going to church every now and then, and the, this guy hated it. He hated it. He was always kind of causing problems in Sunday school, and the Sunday school teacher even looked at him one day in front of everybody and said, you're the devil. And so obviously saying something like that to a child is not good, and so he didn't go back to that church. He didn't. He stayed out of church for a very long, long time, and he continued to grow into a real smart aleck. He didn't feel loved, didn't treat girls right, didn't feel accepted. And he was really getting ready to make some bad choices in his life until somebody invited him to church. Somebody invited him to church and, 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 and was just nice and normal about it. I mean, if you looked at this person, you would say, man, that person is never going to accomplish anything. That person can't be used. He's, he's too far gone. But again, somebody invited this guy to, to a church to play basketball. And when he got there, he saw people who actually loved one another. 
He had felt rejected all of his life. And so he actually saw people love one another and it amazed him. It amazed him. Well, that, that person, that person, again, he, he, that troubled kid, what I want you to know today is, is now standing before you as your pastor. And that troubled kid is telling you that there's no one beyond the reach of God. And so the question that I have for you today is, is God trying to reach you? You say, Pastor, I'm too far gone. I've done too many bad things. I'm just not good enough. That's not true. I'm telling you, the moment that you stop running from God, he's going to wrap his loving arms around you, and he will embrace you. He wants to win you. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked once you give your life to him because you'll realize how significant you really are to him. You are so significant that he sent his only son to come and die for you so that he could win you. And he wants to offer you forgiveness for every single one of your sins and failures. He wants to offer you forgiveness and a fresh start. All you have to do is ask him into your life. He's not going to force himself on you. You just have to ask. He's here today, and he's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you salvation. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, <clears throat> I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But maybe you're here today, and you know it's time for you to stop running. You know today that you need to give Christ your heart. You need to give Christ your life. It's time to allow him to forgive you for all of your sins and be saved. Listen, if that's you, I'm going to ask that you pray right where you are. Father, thank you today for life. Thank you for bringing me to this place to hear about your great love for me. Today I surrender to you. Forgive me of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Mold me into a new creation. And when I leave this place, may others know that the presence of the living God lives inside of me. Thank you for saving me. Hey, look, we're continuing to pray. Every head bow, every eye close. But listen, if you prayed to, to receive Christ, if you prayed that prayer right now, right where you are, I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing, but if you prayed that prayer right now for the first time to be saved, I'm going to ask right where you are that you raise your hand just because I want to know. I want to know that God is moving. Amen. 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 Father, we just thank you today for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for salvation today. Father, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us to accept the responsibility to be people who go out just like Christ did. We go out. Jesus went out. You've told us to go. Help us go out and reach people far from you. Thank you for your love. 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.